Hello and welcome to another episode of Mere Fidelity, where we have conversations about life, theology, the church, and the culture. Uh, today, we are having a unique show in that uh, Alistair Roberts and I, or also known as FDR, Fancy Dr. Roberts, and I have cast to the side um, the extraneous bits of the show, namely Andrew and Matt, and, and we're just going to be taking this one the two of us and just get to the meat of things without the other two mucking things up. Um, no, just playing. We miss Andrew and we miss Matt, but they both have things to do. Like for instance, Andrew just had another baby. Well, his wife did. So um, pray for them. A healthy little, healthy little sucker. So just be praying for them. And then Matt, we have no idea where he is. He's MIA. So, um, but today Alistair and I are going to have fun talking about a kind of kind of neglected subject, although less neglected than has been recently in theology, but um, the act of Christ's ascension, right? What what's going on in Christ's ascension? What's the theology behind that? And you know, kind of the, the biblical the biblical scope of that. We we you know the most the most important or the most obvious text that we Kind of run across are uh, the ascension at the end of the forty days, both in um, both in Matthew and then really in Acts chapter one. You have the account, uh, and and oftentimes we, you know, you're preaching through a series or you're you get to these texts, you talk about it, and Jesus ascended into heaven, and and uh, and that's about it. Or maybe you'll talk about Jesus being in heaven, or if you if you read the creed, it'll say he ascended. But oftentimes it. It has, at least when I was younger, I did not hear much preaching or teaching on the ascension of Christ or the importance of the ascension of Christ, that, that he is currently ascended uh, into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. So um, today we just kind of wanted to pick that up, pick that thread up, and and kind of run with it. So, um, Alistair, one thing I was wanted I figured would be a good place to start is uh as I've been reading it's been it's been really fascinating to to see just how broadly the theme of ascension and the biblical theology behind ascension is throughout both not only the New Testament but also the Old Testament um so I was curious if you wanted to maybe shed some light on that a little bit and maybe uh, give us a quick, quick run through of some of maybe the the key key elements in Old Testament and the the Old Testament witness that points us to that kind of that coming ascension uh, that Christ uh, accomplishes. So, you wanna you wanna weigh in on that? Absolutely. I suppose from the very beginning of the Bible, we see an emphasis upon. Well, even in the first chapter, we see this division that's created between the heavens and the earth, um, this firmament that is established. And the ascension very much involves that firmament. Um, it looks to that division and the overcoming, to some extent, of that division. A man from earth going up to heaven. And then even within chapter 2 of Genesis, we see Eden is a sort of image of the heavens above, and all the other sanctuaries after that, they have this ascension pattern. 
And so the people go up to worship in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is seen as this high place, even higher than it is geographically. It is seen as the mountain of God that the people go up to. Earlier on, you see the same thing with Sinai, that God's presence is made known upon the top of the mountain. Mm. And the people ascend into God's presence and commune with God. Um, The elders and Moses and Aaron go up and they eat in God's presence. And then later on, Moses goes up the mountain and spends 40 days with God. And um, you have these, this very strong connection between God in the cloud, in the um, high place that represents heaven, that is a sort of earthly analogue to the heavens above, the firmament. Then you mm-hmm. also have key passages within the Psalms, for instance. This is one of the verses that's yeah. most quoted within the New Testament. In Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then you also have passages like Daniel 7, um, coming to the Ancient of Days on the Clouds, these sorts of passages that all look towards themes that we see within the Ascension. Then we have stories that have parallels. So, for instance, Elijah and Elisha cross over the River Jordan, and on the far side of the River Jordan, um, Elijah is taken up by chariots of fire into the heavens. And at that point... A double portion of his spirit, the firstborn portion of his spirit, descends upon Elisha. And so we see a sort of connection there that the ascension of Elijah is the Pentecost of Elisha. And so those two events are connected together. And then within the whole sacrificial system, it is a system of ascensions. The ascension offering, the whole burnt offering, could be referred to Mm -hmm. appropriately as the ascension offering. And the pattern of the tabernacle is built after first of all the pattern of sinai with these different realms that symbolically you're ascending into god's presence through the veil and the veil represents the firmament and in that holy of holies there is that communion with god and so it's not surprising that within the new testament so many of these things are alluded to in different ways first of all you have the explicit quotations of scripture such as in Psalm, the use of Psalm 110, verse 1. You have that in so many places within the New Testament. It's it's all over the place. In Acts 2 right. um, and Hebrews, other places like that. Then you also have the use of the priestly themes, very prominent in the book of Hebrews. And then you have the narrative themes that you see in um, places like Acts with the connection of Pentecost and Ascension. And you also see so, the... So there's... It, Go on. There's a... I, I will say, yeah, th- this is all... This is all what I what I was referring to. And it's, it's really just astonishing how widespread it really actually is when you kind of have eyes to see it. Um, one thing I think that would be interesting to explore is you know, the Christological dimension to ascension. Obviously, it's Christ who ascends. But um, how that illuminates his different offices. Um, so especially you see the ascension being connected to both both the kingly and the priestly offices, right? I mean, you, you see those both in the some of those some of those key psalms, right? Like Psalm 110 has both of those 
kingly and priestly dimensions when you you start talking about ascension you know the ascension to the throne is kind of the more more obvious secular um connotation of that term but then right there in the middle of it you also have the deep priestly themes of ascension like you were talking about into the presence of god in sinai and so so this 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 act of ascension bridges these two offices and that that in a way that makes um in a way that makes the figure of melchizedek figure so prominently and fits so perfectly as this as this bridging unifying priest king uh who is kind of the suitable i don't want to say picture but yes in, in a sense for the the one act of kind of kingly priesthood that christ uh, accomplishes in his ascending i don't know that 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 i think had never really um it's only recently that 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 the joining of those two offices in the ascension uh has really kind of clicked for me and its importance um but i i'm curious let's get to hebrews in a bit i'm curious what you make of um ascension even in some of some other key New Testament texts. So for instance, I, I think of something weird like Ephesians four that commentators are always, you know, trying to make sense out of the, you know, the, he ascended and then ascended, the gifts, et cetera. Enough. Yeah. So if you, would you care to comment on that? And then the connection with the old Testament. So in a sense, your view on that weird text and how the Ascension <laughs> shines a light on it. I would want to look at it a bit more closely before giving any definitive thoughts on the subject. Alistair, come on! Aren't you like just a commentary, like a human commentary? That's what I we wish. pay you for. Which we 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 don't pay him anything. If you're listening, we none of us get paid. We we actually all need money, so that's a thing. Um, no, but that that's the but those are the kinds of things that I'm I'm very fascinated by in this regard um i suppose i'll let you go back to hebrews because that's what you had wanted to talk about there um how do you how do you see that playing out or some of the key ways that plays out in hebrews just going back to ephesians i think one of the things that does emerge there is the connection between the work (laughs) of the spirit and the work of christ that christ christ's ascension is a precondition for the work of the spirit that Mm -hmm. as he ascends he gives the gifts of the spirit and he establishes those gifts that form the church. We see the same sort of thing in um, John um, 16, where he talks about how he must go away in order that the spirit might be given. Um, We see the same thing in Acts 1 and 2, when Christ's ascension leads to the gift of the spirit. Um, So I think these... And even within the longer ending to Mark, you see Christ ascends to the right hand of God and then the church um, goes out ministering and the Lord is working with them through these signs. And so it's very much a matter of a new stage of Christ's work is made possible as he ascends and also the Spirit's work is opened up in a way that it wasn't before. And that connection, I think, is quite crucial to the meaning of Ephesians, um, that Ephesians passage, but also more generally to the meaning of ascension, that without 
Christ's ascension, the work of the Spirit wouldn't occur in the way that it does. One, one other thing um, that has really struck me is the importance of the work of ascension uh, when connected to union with Christ, right? And this is such a, such a big theme um, in Paul, both in Ephesians and in Colossians. Um, you know, Colossians 3, uh, you know, put, you know, I can't quote it off the top of my head right now because it is fairly early where I am. But um, just that that vision of, of Christ being in the heavenlies and us kind of picturing our life with him. Um, and the fact is that where he is, we are. And the same thing is true in Ephesians chapter 1 uh, and and 2 and 3, that, that, that the whole thing is caught up that, um, you know, in Christ— we are seated in the heavenly realms yep. with him. You know, in Christ, we've been blessed with with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And some of these some of these things that he says of that are true of us in Christ are true of us in Christ precisely because he is ascended. He is the ascended one who has accomplished salvation and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, and so this union connected with with ascension, you know, in a sense, Christ did not ascend without us. Uh, he ascended with us, uh, or where we are ascended with him, and uh, that idea that that I am now in Christ, even now, uh, in the presence of in the presence of God, in in, in the presence of glory, um, that is a that's kind of a staggering a staggering thought. Um, not only for the promise that it holds, but also for, for, for the present. Um, and so, so even there, you start to see how big uh, a role it starts to play in Paul's, in Paul's theology, in terms of his ability to um, talk to us about the moral life and about what we put on, put off. Uh, so much of that is based on the fact that even now Christ has ascended into heaven. We are with him. Uh, and he, he is seated at the right hand of the father. That's, that's, that's huge. Right. So not only the cross, not only the resurrection, but the ascension is is central then to Paul's exhortation to us. Um, that that is just a fascinating dimension to, to, to start to pick up on. And in many respects, in understanding the ascension, the ascension opens up a space and time. Um, Christ is genuinely it leads to a genuine absence of Christ, a gap where Christ is not with us in the sense that he was before, but yet we are um, caught up with him in some sense. Our worship is seen as something that participates within this heavenly realm that Christ has opened up for us, this realm of God's very presence, the Holy of Holies and the heavenly temple is no longer this barred off realm, nor is mankind just condemned to this realm lower than the angels but rather we see christ who was for some while a little lower than the angels now he's crowned with glory and honor and we are to some extent included in that because we participate in him but then there's also a proleptic aspect to that that um we have we're spoken of as included as those who will be included um it's already it's spoken of as if it has already been realized, although it has yet to take place in its fullness. And we're waiting for that day where we are caught up with him in the cloud. 
um, and that joining together of God's, the realm of God's heavenly throne and the realm of our presence on earth um, in the new heavens and the new earth. So we're looking forward to that and we already participate to some degree in this rule, but it's waiting, we're waiting for it to be revealed. And I think one thing that we see a lot within scripture is this, this emphasis upon Christ's universal rule that is already in effect, mm-hmm. but is also not yet. Um, enemies still have to be made his footstool, but he is already seated at God's right hand. Yeah. And getting that right connection between where we are positioned within time, within um, the order of things, and where Christ is, is difficult. And I think that space that is opened up, where Christ is with us by his spirit, but also absent from us as a result of the ascension and also as we participate but we don't participate we're still waiting speaking of that carefully i think is difficult and that's i mean that's without necessarily opening up this can of worms that's i mean that's the challenge of much eucharistic or uh, you know theology of the lord's supper is is precisely that dialectic of that 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 uh, tension of how Christ is present and how He is absent in the supper. The supper is, you know, the debate theology of ascension is caught up with the theology of the supper. And this was this was the part of the central debate in the post Reformation period and the Reformation period between um, kind of hardcore Brensian Lutherans, not all Lutherans, maybe maybe on the philip side not as hard on this but um lutherans and and you know the more broadly reformed whether calvinist or zwingli uh, especially calvinist though emphasizing just the, the the spatiality and the um the locality of the ascension in a sense of what it means for christ to ascend christ as god and man remaining man ascending uh, to the heavenlies, and in which sense can Christ then be present to us in the in the supper, or can we be made present to Him? Uh, and so, this would have been an interesting point at which to have a Lutheran to fight with. Um, <laughs> and the emphasis but, that Calvin has upon the role of the Spirit at that point, I think, is yes, very significant. It's not a matter of um, it's not a matter of substance so much as the work of a person, the spirit um, that connects us with Christ. Right. And this is, this is what, and incidentally, for those who are listening, this is, this is the point of talking about spiritual presence. It's not necessarily like a, you know, ethereal or kind of presence or metaphorical presence, although, you know, whatever it's that it's by the very act of the spirit who can unite things in space and in time that we are present to each other even when um, physically distant in, in a very key way. And it's uh, the spiritual so, that's, presence that's, of the body of Christ. It's not yes. the spiritual presence of Christ's spirit in some sort of right. ethereal sense, but the spiritual right, presence right. of and then that, that, That's crucial. Right. And that's, and that's, so that's part of this caught up in the, in the, in the theology of, Ascension, and actually, for those listening, I cannot recommend enough the 
kind of like now classic um, Ascension and Ecclesia by uh, Douglas Farrow. Uh, excellent on all this. But um, the other thing that really grabs me, because I don't want to turn it into a, a, a Lord's Supper talk, um, just the significance of the fact that there is now a, a human seated on the throne of the cosmos. Um, this, this as kind of like the culmination of, of that long range thread of biblical theology is uh, phenomenal with just thinking about the early chapters of Genesis with Adam uh, and, and Eve being appointed as representatives, as images, um, and they're they're kind of tasked to expand the garden and, and, and in a sense, rule the cosmos as God would rule it. And, and, and the way that the, the twists and the turns that that takes in redemption history to the point where Christ ends up fulfilling that task, that in a sense, that, that goal, uh, that, that Adam has with him returning to glory, uh, only, returning to glory with a human with a human nature uh in 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 that ascension and that to me is is just one of those um fascinating fascinating features of the ascension that the ascension is and constitutes the glorification and the culmination of our human nature uh, and it reaching and achieving or christ reaching and achieving for us the culmination of who we are and this is part of what constitutes the revelation of what we are and what we will be is is christ in his ascension as very god and very man um seated on the throne of the cosmos that's that's a that is a again it's a staggering thought um when it comes to just thinking through god's intended purposes god's intended goals for humanity as a whole um this is this is far grander this is far greater um than oftentimes we think of as just kind of like we think of salvation oftentimes as a return to eden uh, or return to an earlier state um uh, or even just sometimes we even stop short uh, when we think about resurrection and we think of the glory of resurrection and the resurrection resurrection body and how great it will be to, you know, not have aches and pains and new creation, all these kinds of things. But just the fact that that it's it's a it's pushes even deeper towards a, I don't know, a royal and glorious future that God has for his children um, where they are honored and they are um, transformed in Christ because of who he is and our union with him and his ascension, that is, is just, um, that is not a point that is preached and, 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 um, affirmed enough, uh, in such a way that it, 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 it should fire our imaginations and, um, really be part of the, in a sense, the mental furniture of, of where this all is headed and our, our way of understanding the future, our way of understanding our lives, even now that these things are aimed there. Um, yeah, so that's 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 one of the things that has, has grabbed me about, you know, the importance of Ascension theology. And yes, I think rant. along those yeah. lines, the Ascension of Christ is very much about the destiny of humanity. And 
it, of our humanity. It's not just a. It's not just something that happens to Jesus once he's finished his work. That he goes back to where he came from, um, unchanged. He's just he's done his bit. Now he can um, go out of the picture, and the spirit can come instead. Rather, it changes something because Christ, the Christ who ascends to heaven, is Christ with a human nature who sits at God's right hand with his human nature, who intercedes intercedes for us in his human nature, who will come again in that human nature, and all enemies will be put under his feet in that human nature. And we are implicated in that. I, I wonder whether there's some embarrassment about the doctrine of the ascension in many circles. There seems to be a certain triumphalism um the royal themes the themes of empire even um of god's universal mm. rule in christ can often be something that feel awkward to people in this sort of post christendom age how exactly do we relate to these things when do we declare that christ is seated at god's right hand and that he is the king that the kingdom is a real thing when it's not that we have to construct the kingdom but the kingdom is there and it's going to be revealed and the question is are people going to fall in line with this reality um why and don't is, we speak more of, about this well i mean you know like you said it's oftentimes connected to kind of this element of a fear of christendom and you know i don't really want to get into christendom without matt because Matt will, Matt's our, Matt's our monarchist, our royalist here <laughs> among us. He doesn't say it explicitly, but almost explicitly. Um, so, uh, you know, without going full O'Donovan and all that. Um, but we, we oftentimes miss the, uh, the note of warning and the note of, of humility that this should introduce in terms of Christ being the king, the ascended king on the throne of heaven. And this is where some of that element of the distance, the now and the not yet should be important. We, when, when Christ is seated on the throne of heaven and there's this very close identification and presence uh, identified between us and, you know, the church and, 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 and Christ, the body and the head without a recognition of the kind of the, the gap between the times and the gap between heaven and earth and in a, without going into that metaphor too much, um, that can turn toxic, right? That can turn uh, aggressively coercive. That can turn into a, a uh, an over-realized eschatology, I think, of Christ's kingship, um, that, that, that this, is a, this is a different kind of subduing all enemies underneath his feet. But I think it can be recognized and the way that it relativizes um, every earthly kingdom, the way that it puts power uh, in check, the way that it puts kingdoms in check, the way that it puts it calls governments to account, the way that the way that it calls the church to account, and that it has an ascended Lord. In which case, um, you know, people can get caught up with that metaphor as you know the church as Christ's body, which it is, but they they forget that Christ has also has a body 
You know, we say, we're the hands and feet of Jesus. Yeah, but he also has his own hands and feet. And so there, there's, it opens up a little bit of space, a healthy space of identification and non-identification, in which case, um, you know, everything we do in his name, every cup you give of water in his name, you know, to, to somebody who's thirsty, yes, yes. But there's also things that you do with your with your hands that, that Jesus does not do through you, that his own hands will correct one day, you know, that whether it's, you know, the violence of kind of crazy empire or whatever it is, that, that kind of distance that the ascension opens up for a critique of the church in this age is also a very important point that we forget to our peril that if we just you know jesus is in heaven or we don't really think about it we're all the jesus anybody's going to see and we don't think that we're going to give account to the jesus who's currently on the throne um yeah that, that's just that's a significant um dimension to the ascension and christ's kingship and rule that if we focused on would uh, i think maybe um uh bring comfort or 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 ease some fears that people have about speaking too openly and too clearly about um, the fact that Christ is king now. So I don't know if that's that just a, an unhelpful ramble, but um, Alistair, would you have more on that? Um, yeah, I think that's helpful. I think one other aspect that might be worth looking into is the degree to which the ascension is an integral part of Christ's sacrifice and his priestly work hmm. that... Often we yeah. tend to think of the ascension as something that um, we focus upon the cross. Then often we don't even um, give much emphasis to the resurrection within our focus upon the cross. But the ascension even loses out even more that the ascension is just this yeah. thing that happens at the end. Um, um, Christ leaves the stage, as it were. And that's all it is. It's not some significant event within this process but if we're looking at it in terms of the old testament sacrifices and other patterns that we see within scripture and that are articulated in places like hebrews the ascension is an integral part of christ's sacrifice and it would not be complete were he not to ascend into god's presence to that um heavenly sanctuary and to intercede for us within that realm and so i wonder how we can I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, how we can reincorporate that dimension of Christ's sacrificial work into our picture. So the cross and the resurrection and the ascension flow as a seamless movement um, of Christ's sacrificial um, self-giving. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's this, 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 uh, this morning I was, I was listening to a rendition of the, the song Before the Throne of God Above. And, uh, you know, the song goes, the hymn, you know, Before the Throne of God Above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is Love, whoever lead, lives and pleads for me. Um, you know, his name is graven on, my ha- on his hands, his name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Um, and it goes on, and, and the, you know, the... the the, the theology of the song goes on and, and, and stresses the continuing assurance that believers can draw in the fact that we have 
a faithful ascended um, high priest who ever lives and pleads for us, to, who, who himself is our surety, he, he himself is our assurance um, that, you know, death and resurrection and, and now in his ascension, he is there and the work is completed. Um, and it's not just that we look back there to know that the work is completed um, at the remains of an empty cross, but we, we look even now to heaven and, and Christ himself assures us that he, he, he is there in the presence of God fully accepted and we are there fully accepted in him and, and his very life, his perfect life that he's offered up is, and, and has, and, and is, um, is our assurance. It is our pardon. It is our, it is our bulwark against, uh, accusation and storm, uh, and, and, and everything that would come against us. And so there's, um, even now focusing, talking about the, you know, in a sense, the, you know, people used to talk about the, the ascension and session, the current heavenly session of Christ, the fact that he is, um, even now at work as part of his, his priestly work. Um, and that I think would be, that, that, that's the kind of thing that yes, you preach on, but you also just remind regularly in the way that we pray, you know, that there's, this is part of our theology of prayer, right? That the basic, that basic thing that everybody ends their prayer with in Jesus name, we pray. Amen. There's a reason we pray in Jesus name we pray because we pray in the name of the current ascended high priest who who is there making intercession for us and who through him through him um, our prayers are currently heard because they go up through you know our union with him in the spirit through him and and they're presented before the father and so there's this current trinitarian and christological um, basis for prayer that has the ascended Christ at the root. And so just pointing these things out and, and having this reality, um, you know, much of our present day-to-day spirituality being rooted in a present day-to-day communion with the ascended Christ, that I think is part of how some of this kind of starts to see, sink into our bones and sink into our souls is, is realizing how much of an impact this has on our, on our current day-to-day um, uh, reality of, of, of prayer and communion with God. Um, so that, I think, is maybe one way, one dimension. We can't go into all of it now. I mean, we probably actually have to wrap up. But um, this is a present reality that has many implications for, for how we daily live. And so, yeah, that's, that's my two cents there at the end. Alistair, last thing to add. Um, I suppose the final thing I would add is that Ascension is an event that looks forward as well. It's an event that looks forward to the future coming of Christ. And it also looks forward to something that's far nearer than that. Um, after mm. the event it looks forward to pentecost which is an event that we'll mm. celebrate shortly afterwards and christ having been raised up and taken to god's right hand pours out the spirit upon the church and as we think about the ascension it's one of the things that enables us to have confidence as we go out into the world that we know that christ is working with us and he's working with us from the central um 
the central room, the throne room of the universe. And that is where he is yeah. in the operations center of creation. And that gives us incredible confidence as we go out into the world. It's the same thing that gave the apostles confidence on the day of Pentecost as they received the spirit from this ascended Christ. But Christ is no less active at God's right hand than he was then. And I find that an incredibly um, encouraging truth, something that gives us confidence and assurance as we go out into the world, knowing that the sovereignty of God is not just an abstract thing of God working, tinkering behind the, um, in this sort of absent way, um, behind the structure of the universe, but it's the very personal presence of Christ in that throne room, interceding and acting on our behalf and sending his spirit to achieve his purposes. And that I find a great cause for thanksgiving. Amen. Well, um, thank you for listening. Uh, we hope this has been a blessing to you of some sort. And if it has, please feel free to share this or uh, go to iTunes, rate and review us, or even check out our Patreon account. Because uh, as I said, none of us gets paid and we actually lose money on it. But we don't mind mostly because it's, it's all Matt's money. So uh, <laughs> uh, again, thanks for listening. Uh, amen.